the Bible says that man devises the way, but God directs the steps. Now, we do our best to keep this worship service to one hour and a half. We do our best to do that because we know in our church we're multicultural. So we have people here who are monochronic and polychronic. Monochronic, they're right on the clock, man. Mm. You say it's supposed to start here and end here, it's supposed to, and that's it. Polychronic people, most of us are into the experience. Monochronic people, the clock rules them. Polychronic people, they rule the clock. So the blending, sometimes there's tension. It's tough when you're preaching and you see people getting up, going out into the parking lot, starting their car up and getting out. But uh, we can't plan a move of God. And I'm so thankful to be in his presence, to be in his house where he sets the agenda. Again, that's not about being sloppy or anything like that. Just have your way. I wouldn't change anything that has happened. So if you would permit me, I'm going to work through this as quickly as I can, but it is important that we feed on the word of God today. So turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. And if anyone was wondering... We are having church on Christmas Day. If anyone was wondering. Come on now. We got a clap from this side and a clap from this side. We are having church on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mighty are the works of your hands. <laughs> that sounded pretty good, didn't it, Lena? Was I there? Was I on tune? Was I? No. Close. Oh. Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, reading from the New King James Version. The Bible says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, 
and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. If you're visiting with us today, we're in a new series called Unsung Bible Stories. And these are going to be some stories that we're not very familiar with. These are stories that are usually not expounded upon publicly. These are things we read over, gloss over, and hope to get to the next thing because they make us uncomfortable. So in days and weeks to come, we're going to look at some flaws, uh, some blemishes in the lives of men and women that God, because of his grace, still used. So that we can get encouragement to say that if God can use them with all that they went through, all the mistakes that they made, he can surely use me. And sometimes wisdom is not only skilled living, as Jerry shared with our staff this past Tuesday for our meeting, but it's also knowing what not to do. And so when we read these stories, Romans chapter 15 verse 4 said that these things were written for our edification. How can we learn from Sarah's episode when she beat up her maidservant Hagar, who happened to be Abraham's second wife? How do we wrestle and compute these kinds of things and recognize that our God is still in control even when things in the Bible or in your life feel like they're getting out of control? So today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that has been called for over 1,000 years, it has been called the curse of Ham. We're going to dive into this today because the misinterpretation of this passage has hurt the world and especially this country as far as people of African descent are concerned. And in a time when we could not read when we first came here in 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. Up until the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment set us free, we weren't able to read, yet alone understand and decipher and argue theology. But it is a new day, and we don't have to accept lies, no matter how old they are. And we're going to stand today and tell the truth about what the Bible says so that we can live in freedom because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, forgive us for misusing your word. Yes, it is a sword, but you've never told us to use it to cut other people down or to use it for selfish gain and propaganda. Forgive the church. Forgive us when we mishandle the word because we have biases and we have prejudices and we have agendas that are not in concert with your will and your way. But I thank you, Lord, for a new day. I thank you for new opportunities. I pray that you would give us all ears to hear what you're saying in the word. And when it's said and done, we'll give you the glory and help us go and tell somebody some of the things that we're learning about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week we 
looked at the great ark builder and patriarch Noah. And we said that Noah had this call from God. I believe he was 600 years old when he got onto the ark or built the ark and his sons came and got on the boat with their wives and the animals and God sent the rain. And the rains came because God is not only a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace, but he's also a God of justice. He's a holy God. And he chose to judge the world at that time by water. And he saved Noah and his family. And he also saved a pair from the animal kingdom of every species on the earth at that time. Minus the dinosaurs. All right, so let me stay on track. The dinosaurs didn't get on the ark. But after that mission, sometime later, we don't know, is that Noah began to be a farmer, as the Bible says, and he planted a vineyard, and we learned this last week, that the motive of his heart appeared to be that he was planting that vineyard for the purpose of abusing alcohol. Somewhere in his walk with God, he got weary. He got weary in well-doing, and he wasn't as intentional. He wasn't as uh, focused on spiritual things. And because of that, his heart, which was evil, just like everyone in Genesis who got flushed by the flood had evil hearts and motives, Noah had that as well, and so do we. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Even as we read today from Psalm 139, David says, search me and see if there is any wicked way in me. And the thing about the wickedness, it's there. It's only through the word of God that the wickedness can be seen for what it is and motives can be purified to fall in line with God. But when we drift from God in our intimacy and fellowship and worship and enjoyment of him, our flesh and a fallen heart naturally takes over. And Noah did not stumble into drunkenness. He leapt into drunkenness. And so we're going to pick up today to see what happened as a result of abusing alcohol. And I just want to say to anyone under the sound of my voice, don't be fooled by alcohol. The Bible says that it bites like a viper. Don't be fooled by alcohol. Now, we're going to see today that when Noah passed out, a whole lot of things went wrong in his house. When he gave over to the spirit of alcohol, a whole lot of wicked things happen in his house. And when the head is off, then everything else has the propensity to be off as well. And so, yes, he had the freedom to drink wine. It's all through the Bible. But as believers in God, we do not have the freedom to get drunk on alcohol. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine because it leads to dissipation. The writer in Proverbs says that when you get drunk, people can beat you and you not even know it. And what we're going to see today when this patriarch, this great man of God, became drunk, it hurt his family, especially his wife. So you're going to hear something today you've never heard before. And just because you've never heard it doesn't mean that it's not consistent and true with Scripture. So just hang with me. 
You see, it's worth exploring the consequences of Noah's sin in order to learn from his mistakes. But today, and for this message, we're going to study this passage to debunk the myth of the curse of Ham. You see, the church, both Catholic and Protestant, is primarily responsible for the past and present anti-black sentiment that is in the world due to per perpetrating such a demonic doctrine. The world did not create this doctrine. The church did. And it was a doctrine that said that black people or people of color, people who have descended from Ham, that we are cursed, that that is our lot in life, that we are cursed to be slaves based on this passage, that descendants of Ham and Africans and Mongoloids and so-called Indians and natives, people of color, people who have more melanin in their skin than maybe the Shemites and the Japhethites, that we have been cursed as our lot in life to be slaves. Now, this doctrine, as I said, has been around for over a thousand years. It didn't begin with the church, but the church picked it up. As a matter of fact, it began from Arabic Muslims, who as they had an opportunity to read scripture, along with the Quran, they would see these stories and because they could not get along with African Christians, they went to the scriptures and they came up with this diabolical doctrine. And so when the slave trade began, the, European, the Europeans picked up on this doctrine as a means to justify what they were doing because slavery came first and its biblical justification came second. The love of money is the root to all kinds of evil, and that was the motivation for the slave trade. But when they found evidence that it was okay to bless their actions, that they accepted this erroneous doctrine from the pit of hell, and we have been living with it and its consequences ever since. So when we talk about racial profiling, when we talk about people being afraid of darker-skinned people, when we talk about, as I mentioned, this anti-black sentiment that appears to be around the world, but especially in America, where did it come from? Because for every effect, there is a cause. So rather than just trying to pull people out of the river of ignorance, from time to time, we have to go upstream and try to stop the river at its foundation with the truth of the word of God. Because as Dr. King said, no lie can live forever. So today, we're going to tell the truth. Because this doctrine is found in many footnotes of Bibles in the early 20th century. This doctrine, when you read the Bible and you're looking at this passage and it's so tough to understand. And you have these footnotes in these study Bibles. And you go down and you read what these people say who add to the scripture their notes at the bottom they're not always bad but many times those notes carry with them biases and prejudices and limited lenses on interpreting the scriptures you see there's a thing in hermeneutics which is called which is the the science of bible interpretation there's a way to interpret the bible there's a right way and a wrong way a wrong way is called eisegesis when you read into the Bible things that are not there. 
like saying that there were three wise men who were surrounding Christ as a baby. That's eisegesis. I'd have messed it up for somebody. Because when the wise men showed up, they showed up when Jesus was a child and Mary and Joseph had a house. And when they would travel, especially if they were carrying loot, they would travel in caravans. It just wouldn't be three dudes. We look at three gifts and think that it was three cats. No, it could have been a whole lot more than that. But these things, these myths that we see perpetuated on and on and on, we believe. And many times, and we don't even ask questions about it. And so with this story, the myth is black people are cursed and God ordained it. And so it would help the conscience of the slave master when he would enslave descendants from Ham. And so Frederick Douglass in 1845 said of this curse, he said, whether this prophecy is ever fulfilled or not, it is nevertheless plain that a very different looking class of people are springing up in the South and are now held in slavery from the originally brought, from those originally brought to this country from Africa. And if their increase will do no other good, it will do away with the force of the argument that God cursed Ham and therefore American slavery is right. If the lineal descendants of Ham are alone to be scripturally enslaved, it is certain that slavery in the South must soon become unscriptural for thousands are ushered into the world annually who like myself owe their existence to white fathers. So what he's saying is that because the so-called race is being diluted because the slave master is sleeping with slave women and these light-skinned children are being born, they are not truly sons of Ham, they are now sons of the slave master. And so Frederick Douglass is arguing in 1845 that perhaps this curse will be done away with because of intermingling of the so-called races. But I've read all of that, not to necessarily hit that point, but to say in 1845, this doctrine was going strong in America. Martin Luther King said in the 60s, of the curse of Ham, he said, it was argued that the Negro was inferior by nature because of Noah's curse upon the children of Ham. The greatest blasphemy of the whole ugly process, Dr. King says, was that the white man ended up making God his partner in the exploitation of the Negro. So when you think God is with you while you exploit a people group because you believe the Bible says that the Hamites or the African people or people of color are cursed, then man, more power to you. And in those days, how many of us, as I said, could read, yet alone have the authority to stand up to the oppressor and say, you're interpreting that wrong because the Bible clearly says that Ham was not cursed. It was Canaan who was cursed. Oh, hang with me. Don't leave me. Don't turn me off. Don't change stations. Because this week, this week, this anti-black sentiment that went on for thousands of years and hundreds of years in America, it just doesn't go away overnight. The pollution, debris, the baggage of this belief, again, in America for hundreds of years that black people are inferior less intelligent, our lot in life is to be cursed to slavery because God said so, that just doesn't go away at the end of the Civil Rights Movement in 1968. 
its residue is still with us. Because this week alone, I was grieved when I saw that the Walter Scott verdict in, or the trial rather, in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, as far as him being shot in the back by a police officer. Again, we, we won't get into the politics, but a strong talk, we know we have different views and all of that. But I was saddened that one juror stopped the process because he said no matter what he sees, he's not going to vote against the officer. And so there was a mistrial. And again, we all have different views, but for many of us, not all of us as black people, it hurts us to our core. That if there is an indictment after a shooting on film that apparently to all eyes looks unjust, that if there is an indictment, that we can't get a conviction. It's almost becoming commonplace, but it takes us back to the time where you could lynch a black person and there not be repercussions. Where you could go to some black person's house because they were uppity, and the Klan could come and just drag them off in the night and hang them from a tree, and there'd be no consequences for many of us, not all of us. It reminds us of those days, and it says, has anything really changed? And when the church is silent, when the church has nothing to say, when this pulpit and pulpits around the country should not just be about edifying the saints, but they should also be about standing up for justice in the name of God. It makes us say, what is going on? Are we cursed as a people? Because it seems like this thing just isn't going to change. Or Brandon Marshall, an African-American linebacker, this week, plays for the Denver Broncos, who's playing our Titans today. He received some hate mail because like others, he has chosen to use his constitutional freedom to bow and kneel during the singing of the national anthem. And so that has drawn the ire of many people around the world, especially in this country. And they sent him some hate mail this past week that was uh, in a envelope that looked like a child had written it. So he opens it up, and inside, he's being called everything but a child of God. And he says, the hatred by some against people of color is one of the reasons we are where we are in the world today. And they wonder why we feel the way we do and take the stances we take. Dylan Roof, this week, his trial began with the murders of nine people in Columbia, South Carolina, or Charleston, South Carolina. And as they're playing back the tapes of when he was interrogated, and, and he didn't even know how many people he had killed. And they told him it was nine. And he said it was nine? And he laughed. And he felt that it was his responsibility to start a race war. I believe that was in 2015, to start a race war. And he believed that Again, the so-called white race is the superior race. Where does that stuff come from? I'm here to say, as I said in my introduction, a lot of it comes from the church. Using the Bible or misusing the Bible, reading things into it, eisegesis, as opposed to letting the text interpret itself, exegesis. But today, we're telling the truth. So the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. And the best way to learn the Bible when you read it is to ask questions. Ask questions of what you're reading. 
And before you grab a commentary, because all of us as teachers and preachers are biased and we have slants and none of us are perfect, the goal is having a sound interpretation that can be proven biblically. None of us have a perfect interpretation because I wasn't there when everything went down. But the Holy Spirit leads us all into truth and we're all looking through a glass dimly. So we need to be humble when we interpret the word. And because this is a Bible church, if you have a problem with what I'm about to say, just don't have a problem because you, you don't like it. Man, let's dialogue with scripture. I didn't say debate. Come and let's talk about scripture. And man, I can learn something from your perspective and I pray today you learn, but I'm here to say categorically that Ham was not cursed and black people are not cursed. I'm going to shout in a minute. We're not cursed. You may not need to hear that, but somebody does. So let's answer a couple of questions from this text, and I'll move as quickly as I can. Number one, why did Noah lay uncovered in his tent? Because the Bible says he drank of the wine and he lay uncovered. Why did he lay uncovered? Number one, the alcohol had heated him up. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm a goody two-shoes. I have partaken of the grape, but I have never been drunk. <laughs> I don't know what being drunk is. I don't know what being high is. It's only by the mercy of God. Again, I'm not trying to say that like I'm better than anyone. So I don't know what it is. And I thought about calling a few of y'all this week to interview you. <laughs> Just to interview you, you know. Help a brother out. But I've been around enough drunk people, though, <laughs> to kind of know what's going on. And I'm glad the children, the teens, left today. Because when it says he lay uncovered, there's a possibility, like a lot of people who get drunk, that they become more sexually aroused. You know, there are some guys who back in the day could never talk to a girl unless they had some courage juice called alcohol. And so it does something to you, you know, it gives you this false sense of boldness. And so it also increases, increases a, a desire for sex. And so I'm here to say that another reason he got uncovered was because he wanted to have sex with his wife. Maybe they had a date night that just went overboard. <laughs> Secondly, why was Ham at his father Noah's tent? Because Ham is there as well as the two brothers, Shem and Japheth. Why are they at the tent? I'm going to suggest to you they were at the tent because they heard something. They heard screams and cries for help. That's why they're outside the front door of their mom and dad's tent, because they heard something that made them come. Thirdly, what did Ham see? What did he see when he went inside of his father's tent? The Bible says in verse 22 that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. It says it again in verse 23, that when the brothers went in, they covered the nakedness of their father. And later at the end of verse 23, it says that the brothers did not want to look upon their father's nakedness. So what did Ham see? Well, according to the Bible, specifically the King James Version, 
the English Standard Version known as the ESV, the New American Standard Version of the Bible and the New King James Version, just to name a few, Ham saw the nakedness of his father. Number four, what was father's nakedness in the Bible and why is it listed three times? So as we're reading the Bible and whenever there's repetition, that's a signal to us as interpreters the Lord is trying to tell us something because we see repetition over and over again. And so before we try to bring application to our modern day contemporary culture, let me with the best of my understanding go back into that culture to understand how words were used and as much of the culture that I can ascertain from reading the scriptures and then grabbing Bible study aids. So what, what does that term, the nakedness of the father mean? Because if we take it just on face value, it means that Ham went in and saw his father naked. I'm here to say to you now, again, let's think of the culture. It's, they are an agrarian people, nomadic people. They didn't have separate facilities and all that kind of stuff when it was time to shower or to use the bathroom, yet alone on the ark. All of them on the ark. It's my guess, especially if guys have been living for hundreds of years, that they have probably seen each other naked. Now, I'm not trying to get gross with you, but I'm just trying to keep it real with you that it probably wasn't a big deal for Ham to see the nakedness of his father, especially when you read the book of Exodus and you see that people would bathe in rivers. Remember when Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river to bathe with her maidens and there they found Moses? That was public bathing with people of the same sex. And I remember, man, when I had to go to junior high school, I was terrified because I didn't want to have to shower with a bunch of other dudes. <laughs> Elementary school, you went to gym and you sweated and you were funky the rest of the day. <laughs> but in middle school, junior high, you had to take showers and get graded for it. I don't know what they do now in school. I think the kids today still stay on the elementary thing that I had, get funky and go home funky and sweaty. But man, when we were in school, you had to take a shower. That was part of your grade. And man, nobody can prepare you for that. <laughs> but after a while, it's like, hey, you know, you're in the shower singing and everything, you know. So I, I don't think seeing his father naked was the thing, even though Bible interpreters, like people from the school I went to, said that when Ham saw his father's nakedness, he gazed at him with homosexual longings. And I'm like, where is that in the Bible? I, I don't see that. It... But hold on with me, because Leviticus chapter 18, verse 8, tells us a little bit about the culture. Oh, you're going to love this. It says in Leviticus, the nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. And then in Leviticus, it's going to tell you a whole bunch of other situations of where uncovering someone's nudity is improper for a cousin to do that or for a son and a mother and all that stuff. So uncovering nakedness is just one way of the Bible is just telling us, speaking of sexual activity. And, you know, because the Bible has words like Adam knew his wife and David told uh, Uriah, go home and wash your feet. These are euphemisms for sexual relations. 
Well, uncovering nakedness is also another way of speaking of sex. So what's going on, Pastor? What's going on? What is the father's nakedness? Well, according to this passage, it speaks of a man's wife. Noah's nakedness was Mrs. Noah. Why do you say that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that a husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but his wife does. And a wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but a husband does. And so Paul continues to build an argument in Corinth, which is a very sexually perverse community in time, that the only sex God honors and blesses is sex in a marriage between a husband and a wife. And so my wife, who goes to the gynecologist, and, and she gets physicals, and I go and I get physicals, and we have to be naked in front of other people. But that nakedness is not a nakedness unto sexuality. That is a nakedness unto proper medical attention. But get it, don't get it twisted, though. Now, my nakedness is hers. This naked body, don't, don't picture that, that's why I wore the robe, is, <laughs> belongs to her. It don't belong to everybody else. And her nakedness belongs to me. Darina is my nakedness. That is my nakedness. I am her nakedness. So when Ham saw his father's nakedness, he saw his mother naked. Mm-hmm. Hang with me. So how could this wicked thing happen? Because something bad happened. I take you back to why was Ham at the tent in the first place along with the other brothers. They heard some crying. And I'm here to suggest to you, when you see Canaan's name mentioned twice, again, repetition, Moses is trying to let us know something without being improper. He's trying to tell us something went down and it involved Canaan, who was the son of Ham and the grandson of Noah. And so as Noah passes out from the alcohol, probably after having just had sex with his wife or wanting to have sex with his wife, he's passed out. So his wife, who is physically uncovered, is also spiritually uncovered because her head is not paying attention. Well, Canaan steps into the tent at that time, and he sexually assaults and violates, rapes his grandmother, she cries for help, and Ham, who also knows the consternation of his son, shows up. The other brothers show up. Canaan is gone. Ham comes in, and he sees his father's nakedness, Mrs. Noah, Mama, right there, after having been assaulted by her grandson. Ham is so distraught, he doesn't know what to do, so he walks out and he tells his brothers, what happened? The brothers here, and they walk in backwards to cover their mother's nakedness. Pastor, where you get all this from? Genesis chapter 6. Talks about how the evilness on the earth was so bad that God says, I'm going to end all of this because you haven't repented from the preaching of Noah. I'm going to flush all of this. Every inclination of the heart of man was evil. And so not only was it in Noah, but it was also in Canaan. And so, so y'all say, I find it hard to believe. Well, let's go down Canaan's family tree. He comes from a descendant named Lamech who had two wives. Then if you go a little further down his tree, he had a descendant named Lot. 
A good man, the Bible says. I can't wait till we talk about Lot. He was a righteous man. But yet this man was going to offer his two virgin daughters to a homosexual mob in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then when they leave Sodom and Gomorrah, Mrs. Lot dies and he is in a cave with two of his daughters and their thinking is stinking and they say we may not have children so let's get our father drunk and have sex with him so that we can perpetuate a line and have children. Sick, right? But again, before we point the finger at these people, Many of us have come up in homes where not only has there been severe alcohol abuse, but there has also been major sex abuse. Many of us have been violated and defrauded by cousins and brothers and stepfolk, and we're still dealing with those scars to this day. This is why I know God wrote the Bible, because real stuff is up in here. Time does not permit me to talk about how Amnon, a son of David, raped his stepsister Tamar, and after he raped her, hated her, oh, that's in the Bible. So this ain't far-fetched to think that a grandson could rape a grandmother. Just simple hermeneutics, putting some scriptures together, that is all. I may not be sure exactly what it says, what happened, but I know what didn't happen. We didn't get cursed as a people. Which, by the way, if Noah curses Ham, then everything that comes from Ham is cursed, if you will. Because Ham is the progenitor of people of color. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. We'll talk about that another time. Genesis 10, these sons populated the whole earth, their descendants. The Semites, the Arabs, the Caucasoids, people of color come from these three sons. Acts 17, 26, from one blood, God made every nation of men on the face of the earth. So different skin complexions, eye shape, hair texture, all of those things come from these three sons. And so it always amazed me that the slave master could say that black people were in the Bible by way of a curse, because everybody in the Bible usually whitens up. But somehow Ham was black. Only when it came to a curse, but never to contributions to Christianity. Selective exegesis. Noah did not curse Ham because Ham did not sin against Noah's wife. You see, because if you affect me, you hurt my wife. You, if, you hurt, if you hurt my wife, you hurt me because we're one flesh. Ham was not the one who perpetrated an evil against his mother. It was his son, whose name is mentioned five times in this passage, who's the perpetrator. Now let me say this too. The reason why Noah did not and could not curse Ham, the father of the various peoples of color, and as you read his family tree in Genesis 10, he had four sons who started four nations, Mizraim, Egypt, Put, Libya, Cush, Ethiopia, and then Canaan, who was in the promised land, the Canaanites. But Ham wasn't cursed, just one of the sons was cursed because the son was guilty of raping Noah's wife. But again, listen to this, listen to this, and I'm going to take my seat. Ham was not cursed because you cannot curse someone 
who God has already blessed. Genesis 9.1, it says it clearly. So God blessed Noah and his sons. So Noah had three blessed sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And a little bit later in the book of Numbers, when Balaam was hired to curse the Jews, he couldn't curse them because he said, I can't curse them because they're already So Noah couldn't curse Ham because God had already blessed Ham. And the African people in this continent, they are blessed. Mathematics and science and writing, all of those things and even the beginning of civilization happened somewhere near or in Africa when you read your Bible. But if you're trying to enslave a group of people who are powerful, you want to mess with their mind and you want to do it with the backing of a divine being through his book and say that you're cursed and you need to obey your masters because Hebrew or Genesis 9 says that you were created to be a slave. No, one of the nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan and black Muslims say that Christianity is the white man's religion. And that the slave traders use Christianity to make Christ or Africans docile and submissive. But that's when I say to the nation of Islam that it wasn't the white man who came up with this demonic doctrine. It was Muslims who came up with this demonic doctrine that white men borrowed. And number two, I'd have to say to you, man, I just lost my point. I, I stayed on that one too long. Hold on. Oh, Jesus didn't get to Africa when slave ships got to Africa in the 1400s. Jesus wasn't used to evangelize slaves to make them docile as if that was the first time they heard about Jesus was when Europeans came in the 1400s. Christianity being the white man's religion. No, Jesus hit Africa when he was born, number one, because he went up into Egypt to flee from Herod. So Jesus was all up in Africa. Again, we ain't got time to go into the Old Testament. We'll hit them in some of the stories later. The Queen of Sheba, oh, we're going to talk about her. She was bad. But there was an Ethiopian in the book of Acts who was coming from Ethiopia. And Ethiopia had its own treasury, its own political system and power and, and, and just pageantry and royalty. And, and they were regal. They were coming from Ethiopia into Jerusalem first century to learn about God. And the book of Acts said that that man met Jesus because Stephen, a Jew, a Japhethite, led him to Christ, who is a Semite. So Jesus reached Africans and Africa long before slave ships got there. So we got to tell the truth all the way around. So what's going on? What's going on? But Pastor, tell me who the younger son is in this passage. Verse 24 says, so Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Strong Tower, listen to me on this, all right? Again, when you're under the influence of alcohol, and the book of Proverbs says you can be beaten and not know what happened to you. How does he wake up and know what was done to him? 
And if my professors were right who said that Ham looked at him with homosexual satisfaction and gratification and all this kind of stuff, how do you wake up and know somebody was staring at you? And how is a stare going to get a curse like that? No, he woke up from his wine and his wife told him what happened to her. And again, you hurt my wife, you hurt me. And then when the sons came in backwards and covered her, they were able to verify the story. Where is Ham? He's probably running off looking for his son. So Noah awakens, finds out what his younger son, I was taught over and over again in Bible school that the younger son was Ham. But nowhere in the Bible does it say the younger son was Ham. Now it does say that Japheth, he's called the elder in chapter 10. So maybe he's the firstborn. But whenever Ham's name is mentioned, it's always second every time. So there's no proof that says he's the younger son. The younger son is probably Shem. So it's probably Japheth, Ham, and Shem. But I got more for you to prove this theory and this thesis. In the Hebrew culture, there is no word for grandson. Ben, that's the name for son. And when you read the book of Genesis, chapter 31, Lamech, who had two daughters that Jacob came and married and had children by while he was in Lamech's land, Jacob tried to get away in the middle of the night and he took all his children. And Lamech said, he caught up with him, and he said, why are you taking my sons with you? He didn't say my grandsons. He said, why are you taking my sons? And so over and over again in Genesis 31, you see the fact that he referred to Jacob's sons as his son. Because Hebrew culture, your son is my son. I know in our culture with grandparents, you know that those aren't your kids. You, you take them for a little bit and then send them on back home. But in that culture, when the old patriarch Jacob was blessing Joseph's children, he was getting old, and the Bible says that he accepted Ephraim and Manasseh as if they were his own sons. So who's the younger son? It's not Ham, Shem, or Japheth. It's Canaan. So when he awakened and found what his younger son had did to his wife because Mrs. Noah told her husband while you were sleeping, passed out from alcohol, I was raped or at least molested. Cursed be Canaan. Not cursed be Ham. That's not what the Bible says. But if you live under a lie for a thousand years or more, you begin to believe that a lie is true. Now, we as black folks know, we know we're not cursed. And I'm going to close in a minute and talk about curses. But if you come from the dominant uh, uh, culture, there are certain things inbred in you, like a false sense of superiority. And even this unthinkable belief that there may be something, that there's some about those people. I'm scared of them when I see them. So a cop shoots a guy in the back because he says he's afraid for his life and the guy is almost 20 feet away and you're afraid and you have a gun and he's running? It's all in the culture. It's in the air we breathe. Racism. That the church 
perpetrated and perpetuated through centuries. And one way they do it is also by not speaking up to counter the lie that they accepted. There are still a couple of seminaries who teach the curse of Ham. But let me give you some good news. Curses, man. Let's just say Ham was cursed. Let's just say. Even though the Bible doesn't say it. You know there's a limit on curses. The book of Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments is given, that God can punish folks for three and four generations because of idolatry. 120 to 160 years. That there can be consequences and repercussions for idolatry and sin. So he's a just God. Don't play with him. You can choose your sin, but you can't always choose the consequences. And some of us have been in generational poverty, generational sin, uh, passing down alcohol and drugs and all kinds of spirits to our children. But, but, but here's what I love about God. Even in the Old Testament, he's a God of mercy. Because he says, okay, here's what can happen when you make idols. I'm going to curse your children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I will show love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So he said, I'll reverse the curse when you turn around and come to me. And where sin abounds, grace will superabound. You thought 160 years were tough. A thousand generations, that's 40,000 years. So a curse can end. But Ham wasn't cursed. Jesus was. Oh, now. Because he loved us so. He knew that we were all cursed with sin. And we deserve to go to hell forever. But because of his great love for us, Jesus said, Father, I'll suit up and I'll take their place and I will take their punishment. Galatians 3.13 says that Jesus became a curse when he died on the cross. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. The blessed one became cursed so that cursed folk through his righteousness can become blessed. And when we put our faith in Jesus, whether we are descendant of Ham, Shem, or Japheth, whether we're black, white, brown, red, or yellow, we become sons and daughters of God. And we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. And, is, and it is categorically impossible to curse a Christian. Can't curse a Christian. Because we're blessed. And that's why my people were able to survive the horrors of slavery and segregation because of the one whose hand was on us, in spite of the lies. And not all white people were bad because there were many who stood up against that system, just as there are some today who do that. So, my black brothers and sisters in particular, I want to tell you that black is beautiful. There's nothing ugly about your skin. There's nothing wrong with your nose and your head texture. There's nothing wrong with you. The Lord loves you. 
And he says that you're blessed. So don't believe the lies of the enemy when you get discouraged, when you read the paper or you see social media and this and that is going on. And we're so confused as black people, we're killing ourselves because we have no respect for the image of God in one another. And all of that didn't happen here in America. We were doing it on the continent of Africa because it's the gene of sin that's in man. But I tell you, we got to rise up as a people and we got to know who we are in Christ that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows that full well, and marvelous are your works. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. These subjects aren't easy, but they're necessary. We have a responsibility to be salt and light, to be truth tellers. I pray that we'll go home like the Berean saints and study to see if these things are true. That just as those Christians didn't take everything Paul said on face value, Lord, I don't expect the people here to do that. But I pray that we all would study to show ourselves approved, work men and women who do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when we think about what does this have to do with the Advent season? I don't want to hear this stuff. I want to hear joy to the world. And I want to worship the baby in the manger. But Lord, it's because of this stuff that we need Advent. It's because of this junk and mess that was in this family and that's in our family, that's in our lives, that Jesus came to save us from our sin and dysfunction. Thank you, Lord, for breaking the curse. Thank you for blessing all of your children. And we pray that we'll take this good news and we will go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born and he was given to us, to all nations. Run through this house with the gospel. Liberate us with the gospel. We give you the glory, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. It's 1220. Run and go get your kids. Amen. <laughs>